0: Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Delta X podcast with Ellen Shu. These are conversations with changemakers, innovators, and self-starters who have made their mark on the world at a young age. Breaking down the journeys of those who are changing the status quo and building the future today. Knowledge is power. Now more than ever.
1: Welcome back to Delta X Podcast. I'm your host Ellen Chu, and today we're going to talk about Minecraft for science education. So I know when I was personally uh, heard about this guest, I was super excited about the idea of this new way of learning about science. So I'm really excited to have a DTL on my podcast. He currently does work at Inspirits and MakerGut, and studied at Stanford as a Knight Tennessee Scholar. He is building the a metaverse for K to 12 science education. And his company has raised $3.6 million and grown to 32 full timers in the U.S., India, Russia, Israel, and the Philippines. He was also awarded the Forbes 30 under 30 in education.
2: Hi, Ellen. Thanks for having me here today.
1: One thing I was curious about is what really inspired you to approach education using this kind of untraditional method um, or what you describe as Minecraft for educational purposes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I always consider myself an educator um, and a lifelong learner first and then an entrepreneur and a researcher and uh, and an engineer next. Um, to me, education is what I want to be able to make a difference in. And I see. Um, Um, Immersive technologies, um, XR, VR, whatever it is that you want to call it. I see immersive technologies offering a very huge opportunity to solve some very fundamental problems that we face in education today. Um, Challenges around building um, hands on learning opportunities, building critical thinking learning opportunities, building collaborative learning opportunities. I think these new technologies can uh, fundamentally change the way in which learning can move from more memorization heavy, learning heavy learning to learning that is more collaborative, social, fun, um, and meaningful.
1: Mm-hmm. And is there any specific moment where you kind of realized uh, that all of these were problems that could be solved with VR?
2: Um, I, that's a very good question. So I, I did a, when I did my, when I was doing my, when I am doing my PhD in, uh-huh. uh, at Stanford, um, my entire research is dedicated to trying to understand what VR can offer to the classroom and to and to K-12 education. I think most people that get into virtual reality first are often blown away by how phenomenally unique and interesting of an experience it is. But it's very easy to fall into the trap of being, oh, this is a cool technology. Let's find how VR can solve education. And I think it's very important to recognize that education itself is a very complex system of multiple stakeholders and multiple um, challenges, questions, issues, and histories. Uh, behind how and why we have things set up to the way they are. So it's very important for us as um, entrepreneurs, as creators, um, as people building the future to take not a technology first approach, but a problems first approach to solving and addressing problems. Uh, What are the fundamental challenges in teaching and learning in the classroom? And could VR solve some of those problems and some of those challenges. And that's how I identified VR as a a solution, not because I thought it was cool and because it was new, but because I uh, was in classrooms where I noticed engagement and attention and retention was a huge challenge that teachers faced on an everyday basis. I noticed that most science education and most STEM education in an average public school classroom anywhere on earth um, was happening through a PowerPoint presentation or through a a lecture of somebody writing on a whiteboard, digital or physical, um, and teaching you uh, with um, with just with just text. Um, and to me, science was fundamentally an experiential subject, and I wanted to find ways to make it more experiential, more hands-on, more engaging, um, more interactive. Um, and that's how I stumbled upon kind of putting one and one together and being like, "Oh wait, VR immersive technologies." this whole metaverse narrative um, could be an extremely powerful opportunity to bring hands-on learning in a fundamental way to science education. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And we'll get into metaverse later, since I know that's a really big topic as well, when we talk about VR. Um, I've often heard, and I'm not sure how true this is, so maybe you can tell me a bit about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard that education in general and the way we format classrooms hasn't really changed um, for like centuries. So like, is that, is that true? And um, if so, like, why, why hasn't, why has been preventing this change?
2: Yeah, it's a very good question. The way I think about education is I think most formal education systems that we have today are in many ways a relic of our colonial history. Um, mm-hmm. During the colonial era, when European countries colonized most parts of the world, um, educational institutions were set up largely to produce a generation of clerks and people that could largely follow instructions do what they were told to do but largely not think for themselves Um, and this is a huge challenge that we face in many uh, traditional education systems around the world that do not embody a sense of active personalized hands-on learning if you'll see most traditional learning is um, textbook based is memorization heavy uh, and is built around um, standardization um, both through a grade level system as well as through certain curriculums and topics that are taught education is missing that exploratory, creative, um, constructive um, approach um, and, uh, and mindset that you will see so in such a prevalent way in, at, at kindergarten, but you will not see it beyond kindergarten um, in the other years of schooling. Um, and, and so to me, I think uh, there is definitely some colonial hangover associated with education systems that we have today. There's also a lot of other socio-political, cultural dimensions associated with this. Unfortunately, um, or unfortunately, um, Uh, Most uh, uh, industry success, career success today is dependent on getting a degree, um, qualifying uh, through 12 years of school and then a few years of college. Um, And so we're looking at a very, very complex system that involves a very diverse set of stakeholders um, that we need to keep in mind um, when we design a solution or design an intervention. Um, To me personally, I have chosen to dedicate uh, my career and my life to trying to find ways to make education more fun for the student and the teacher, who I believe are the two most important stakeholders in this equation. Unfortunately, in most education systems today, we often neglect the student, and definitely the teacher. Um, And uh, very often solutions, products, curriculums, technology is almost never designed keeping in mind the needs and the challenges and the desires and the aspirations of the teacher or the student. And I wanna change that. I wanna take a more grassroots approach to problem solving in education that's not top down, that's not um, really um, uh, not listening to the teacher or the student, but taking a very grassroots approach to design.
1: Yeah, that reminds me of something a previous podcast guest also brought up, um, which is that schools are really good at teaching you, I guess, how to learn information or um, like learning these facts. But what they're not so good at is getting students excited and hearing you talk about like that problem as well. I think it's uh, very true, especially um, when we think about you know the opportunities students get to explore. And that's also part of the reason why I will I really enjoy talking to people like you on this podcast is that I think there's so many things out there to explore. Uh, that isn't necessarily being tapped into by school systems. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And uh, you mentioned, like, I guess, giving more to the students and to the teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just really curious, how, how do you see VR being able to more, like, better empower uh, these teachers and students to learn more effectively?
2: Yeah, totally. That's a great question. So I think virtual reality affords, or when I say virtual reality, by the way, I should say that I mean the entire spectrum of immersive 3D experiences that are maybe today delivered through a hardware that looks like a headset that you put on your face, but tomorrow might look like something totally different. Um, I think it's very easy to attribute virtual reality uh, to a physical box that you put on your face, whereas I think virtual reality is a new medium. It's a new medium of communication, a new medium of engagement, just as the smartphone was a new medium of communication and engagement. What what the phone or what the smartphone looked like 20 years ago um, is not what it looks like today. Um, The form factor will change, the way we use it will change, the user interfaces, the user experiences will change, but fundamentally it's a new medium that allows communication in a way in which was not possible before. And that's what I think about when I think about virtual reality. It allows you to be in places, have this sense of presence and have this sense of being able to experience and and, and learn from a place that is not your physical location that you're at right now. Um, Whether that place is on the moon, whether that place is inside the human body, whether that place is under the ocean, um, uh, the the opportunities of VR are for you to physically uh, stay in your physical surroundings, but in in a more psychological sense, be put or placed in a new environment and a new space and learn through the interactions and actions In that space, Um, there are a lot of learning opportunities here, of course, where A lot of the research that I've been lucky to be a part of has been able to show that um, when you are in these virtual environments or these virtual spaces, especially when you are fully immersed in these virtual spaces, um, your ability, uh, what what you experience, what you learn very often can lead to long-term opportunities for retention, can lead to certain fundamental changes in one's curiosity, um, one's uh, critical thinking skills, one's problem-solving skills, one's collaboration opportunities. So so to me, that's what gets me very excited with virtual reality is trying to find ways in which we can do things that were impossible before. Um, Not things that are just an incremental upgrade um, to video or to other forms of media, but were just simply impossible. Um, Learning Mm -hmm. physics um, on the moon by throwing a ball um, and understanding Newton's second law of motion, looking at a projectile where gravity is different, like that was just not possible before. Mm -hmm. Um, But today with VR, we can simulate your, you, we can we can essentially make you believe that you're on the moon and you're throwing a ball and you're learning Newton's second law of motion and I think that's really really profound. I think that's really powerful. And in spirit, we have a projectile motion simulator actually where we let you change gravity, we let you change air resistance, and uh, you'll always learn in a physics classroom. Um, assume no air resistance. Assume um, gravity to be g equal to something, but. Um, physically getting that intuition of how the objects move and how they react or respond to changes in a three-dimensional, fully immersive space was never possible until now. And I think that creates these opportunities for fundamentally inquiry-driven learning that was probably not possible before.
1: Yeah, and I know it's impossible to tell from the audio, but I'm smiling a lot right now because I, I am so familiar with these physics experiments and everything. I think, uh, honestly, this is a very cool model that I would have loved to use when I was learning these things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really does sound like what you're describing is kind of like a, a form of like Minecraft or playing and exploring, being able to tinker around uh, with these different experiments and feel like you're a part of it, too. Like you're you're a part of all this exploration um, and not really being limited by by, you know, your physical surroundings. Um, And so there's, I think a lot of things um, we can see VR being used in labs and particularly for science. Is there any other areas where you think this could be helpful? Um, And do you think this will be a general format for the classroom? Like in the future, will we be not walking into school, but, you know, just putting on VR headsets or going into VR rooms? Or do you think it'll mainly be something that stays in the lab, at at least temporarily?
2: That's a really good question. And I think everybody is trying to answer this. I mean, I think that's the million dollar question, right? Of exactly how, what the use cases are. I think the most interesting things about virtual reality and the metaverse is not the technology itself. I mean, sure, that's interesting. There's a lot of work to do there, but I think what's more interesting is how the technology is used. What are the experiences that people build on it and how those experiences are used on an everyday basis, how they become um, seamless um, to day-to-day experience teaching and learning. Um, the timing of this question that you ask is also really great because I think just recently um, Stanford piloted a couple of their courses completely in VR, where students were shipped an Oculus headset and then they did an entire semester or a quarter-long course um, wow, completely nice. in virtual reality, where they met in a virtual space with avatars and then they did um, all their teaching and learning in this virtual space um, every single week for the entire cor- for the entire course. Um, so that's one use case and then there's the other use case where you kind of uh, are in a physical space or you're on Zoom or you're in some sort of like traditional learning space. But VR is used as a supplementary tool, um, just as you would pull up a video when you wanted to illustrate a certain topic, you would pull up a VR simulation, have everyone enter their VR headsets and then teach and learn in that way. Um, there are There is the whole spectrum where learning can happen 100% in VR, learning can happen um, in this hybrid setup where you kind of hop in and out of VR and do a bunch of other activities in a very multimedia fashion. So you have a, a, a rich, diverse set of experiences that you can tap into. Um, I think there's pros and cons to each of those. I think there are different use cases where one might make more sense than the other. Um, Things to consider definitely are uh, questions around access, which is a big, big one. That is one of the most important ones. Um, How does one access VR headsets? How does one actually access um, these in a a way in which it's affordable, it's democratized, it's equitable. Um, The biggest challenge with new technologies is it actually does not solve technology or learning gaps. It widens them. Unfortunately, in most cases, if we do not take a human-centered approach to building, designing, Integrating these um, tools and technologies. So that's one big consideration or one big question to keep in mind. Um, And then uh, looking at the use case, looking at what you're using it for. Um, If I'm using it to, to teach you certain uh, collaboration dynamics, teaching you um, certain problem solving skills, design skills, then maybe being fully immersed in a virtual space where you actually work with peers that have an avatar and engage with their bodies in this virtual space might actually be more meaningful. And there's a lot of research that um, I have been a part of that has asked some of these questions and that has studied um, our learning outcomes associated with this. But maybe in a more traditional science classroom context or a, or a physics class or a history class or a geography class where you want to just understand this one topic what did the um what did uh, machu picchu look like um 2000 years ago when the when when that community was first um, uh, setting up that entire civilization, what does um, it look like to be on the Great Wall of China today and like transporting yourselves to these spaces for a one-time simulation um, is a different use case where maybe you still need the in-person classroom format. You probably still need the in-person social group conversations, but VR can be a great tool to take you to a new place temporarily have you do something interesting and fun and then come back um, and then engage and reflect and react and, uh, and respond to what you just saw.
1: Yeah. And actually, when I was browsing the web, I saw one of the papers you wrote about uh, low cost virtual reality for low resource environments. Um, can you also talk about a bit um, about how VR as a technology can become more accessible and affordable?
2: Yeah, I should have said this earlier as well. When we say virtual reality, it's also a catch-all word for a whole range or a whole spectrum of tools and technologies. Um, uh, people will call mobile-based uh, Google Cardboard-like headset stuff VR as well, where you can open up a YouTube 360 video, put it inside your headset, and then you're experiencing VR. Um, Many VR connoisseurs will not call that VR. They'll say that that's just 360 video, but that's not real virtual reality. Real virtual reality is when you have real time feedback that you get um, through movements and motions and motion capture that's happening um, through hand controllers and more sophisticated head mounted displays um, that have multiple degrees of freedom. Um, And so I think it's very important to know what we're talking about in the spectrum. It's also important because the learning outcomes can differ. Um, Some of my prior research was able to show that the low cost options, um, the mobile based solutions, the more three degrees of freedom, older VR headsets did not demonstrate long-term learning outcomes because very often they lacked certain elements of presence, of immersion, of uh, of that fidelity, that real- realness of the experience. Um, and therefore, in some cases could actually cause a barrier to learning than uh, actually support learning unless it was designed in a much more thoughtful way with a lot of other considerations that were put in place. So I think, um, the of, of course, the opportunities with low cost VR are, are, are immense. And of course you can solve a lot of the challenges around access and affordability with them. Um, but uh, we also have to look at how they're designed and how they're built and what content is being delivered on them. Because very often, it's not it's not a simple one line answer to say that yes using vr is going to improve learning it depends on the hows and the whats in in most cases
1: mm-hmm. and currently um if i if I, I i don't know too much about the like the pricing of vr um, but currently it is pretty expensive it um, is
2: and, and and that's a good point you bring up I, w- I actually wanted to also mention that yes so yes it is pretty expensive it's still like 200 dollars for an oculus quest two or 300 dollars i think um mm-hmm. today at today's taping, that's what it costs. Why I say that is because if you just go back five years, the -the state-of-the-art consumer VR headset that probably costs you $300 today probably cost, I don't know, like almost $1,000. And if you go back 10 years, it was probably two times that. Um, And and the costs have been very high. The costs are dramatically dropping. Battery lives are increasing. Um, The form factors are becoming more user-friendly. So it is getting better. It is gonna get cheaper. The costs are gonna continue to drop until we reach a point where it becomes consumer ready and it becomes consumer affordable. So I think this is why I think it's such an amazing time to get into VR and to get involved with the entire ecosystem of virtual reality and the metaverse because we are at a time in history where we're gonna reach that inflection point where VR is going to become accessible and affordable. The moment we get there, the opportunities for VR and learning are gonna just explode.
1: That's very hopeful to know. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's great to hear that. Like we've been seeing, kind of, I guess a Moore's law trend too in VR, um, in mm-hmm. that things are getting cheaper, things are getting better, yeah. faster.
2: Um, augmented reality is still a little far out, though. Like AR headsets, like the high end ones, not the mobile AR stuff, but the mm-hmm. the AR headsets, like the Magic Leap and the Hololenses of the world, are still. Way too expensive for an average classroom. Um, that's I why you see. See, most of those use cases are still typically in, in enterprise and in industry. Um, but even there, the costs are dropping, and I think. But I think that's a little lagging, a little behind uh, mm-hmm. virtual reality hardware.
1: Yeah is there a reason why we don't hear as much about AR as a, as we do about VR is it because I mean, surprisingly harder? you
2: probably you actually use a lot more AR every day than VR i mean snapchat filters are augmented reality right uh, mm-hmm. everything that you do with filters on images is all augmented reality uh, most um, object recognition that happens from phone cameras today is ar your apple face id is in some form or the other, it's doing real time capturing of information and it's using um, sensors of various kinds to capture data and information and make decisions. That is augmented reality. Um, So augmented reality has actually made itself into consumer products much more than VR has, Um, but uh, augmented reality that's phone-free, that's hands-free, that's based on a head-mounted display, almost like glass um, that you can use to really get that seamless experience that's far out, that's still expensive. I think uh, there are challenges on processing in, on device, which is a big challenge. There's lots of hardware challenges and constraints. Battery life is a big consideration. So you'll often see that the battery pack associated with an ER headset has to be tethered onto your, your trousers. And so it's just like a lot um, more involved and we're still a little far out from making that so feasible that you can wear it like you wear a pair of glasses and go out to school every day. I don't think we're there yet.
1: Yeah, that makes sense, and I actually forgot about all of these applications you mentioned. It reminded me of the Pokemon Go craze as well.
2: There you go. Yep.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, you, you did drop a few times like hints about the metaverse, and so I think right now if we could jump into that, um, mm. I think we could talk a lot about you know this new exciting um, kind of idea that's been coming up recently, and we've been hearing a lot about it as well, and with like Meta and all these different companies who are also very interested in this idea. Um, So I guess my first first question is, uh, what possibilities get you excited about the metaverse?
2: Yeah, totally. So I will start out with saying that the metaverse is actually not a new idea. It's been part of science fiction narratives, as well as a lot of niche academic and industry circles for a very, very long time. I think it's becoming more of a reality because Mm -hmm. bigger corporations and bigger companies have started to realign a lot of their strategies and their decision making around building for um, this metaverse. Uh, this metaverse is a lot more than just you being in 3D, uh, fully immersive environments. It's about, it's an entire ecosystem that, that covers all elements of engagement, uh, social dynamics, participation, learning, and growth. Um, what gets me excited specifically about the metaverse are the opportunities that it allows for more collaborative, more hands-on learning, um, the things that concern me though are that metaverses should not become closed systems like most traditional um, products or companies or social platforms are where you have to be part of a social ecosystem or a product or a closed system where there is still a like an owner of some sort that manages or has control over data, that has control over what you do in that space or how you or, or what you see in terms of targeting advertisements at you and such and, and such stuff. I think the metaverse is an opportunity for us to rethink from first principles how we can build a safe, um, democratized um, space. Um, for creativity and creative exploration. Um, For education specifically, and for K-12 education specifically, I am most excited about the creative opportunities that the metaverse offers and the collaborative and social opportunities that the metaverse offers. Um, It's a no-brainer for science education. I mean, our vision at InSpirit um, is to be able to build a Gen Z metaverse, a metaverse for Gen Z learners and students um, um, and teachers where they can essentially learn science the way science was supposed to be learned through experiencing stuff. I mean, we we want to work with students that want to build that quantum physics simulator um, in the metaverse and demonstrate that to their peers, um, build that anatomy dissector module um, in the metaverse um, with building blocks that are parts of the body and teach you about the human body in this 3D immersive environment, build that physics simulation, um, build that chemistry, organic Chemistry molecule um, simulation, um, where you can actually experience microscopic and macroscopic experiences as if you were there. Um, there was someone, someone I once, one of our students uh, that uses our product actually said that this reminded them of the Magic School Bus, which is a popular TV show um, that some of us grew up with, um, and uh, and that's really what it is. I mean, the ability for you to shrink down to the size of an atom for you to shrink up to the size of a galaxy and learn with your peers in these spaces and customize these spaces build on top of them edit them modify them create your own simulations your own experiences that's our vision um, within spirit and we're going to get there in baby steps today we're focusing more on just 3d science labs and very specific um, bite-sized experiences But our vision ultimately is to build that entire universe Um, and uh, we need and we're building it with students and teachers. So we need more students and teachers to work with us to help shape and design that ecosystem.
1: That's very interesting that you brought in the magic school bus, because I was actually thinking the exact same thing when you're talking about, you know, the the learning about science anatomy. And I I grew up loving that that show. and I'm sure many other high schoolers Did as well. So it does feel it does feel like this is kind of something magical that makes us really fall in love with science. Um, and this is a whole new possibility of how we can how we can take a look at science and learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought it was very interesting how you mentioned um, that metaverse can't be a closed system. And by that, do you mean um, kind of like decentralization, or how would that look like in terms of? how VR
2: is built from the, the ground up, from first principles. Yeah, so that's a good question. So definitely decentralization, but even more fundamentally, uh, I don't. I think content creation should be democratized in the metaverse. So uh, a good example of this are a bunch of video game platforms like Roblox, where um, even the games are built by the community. Um, and I think that's the real power that the metaverse can unlock, the opportunities to create experiences from, from first principles. Um, that anybody can do with a very, very low barrier to entry. Um, And that's what we want to allow within Spirit. Yes, we're building labs and simulations, but our goal is to make them all customizable. So anybody can remix them, edit them, modify them, build your own worksheets, quizzes, guides, stories, uh, movies, videos, um, and share them in a highly shareable and a highly social way.
1: And to get to this vision of like a metaverse, are there any technological or like maybe even barriers in policy uh, that maybe you've faced also in in spirit that have been, um, that are the kind of like roadblocks that we have to move over in order to get
2: there? The most important thing is to build trust, build trust and have build a safe space. I think, especially as someone that cares very deeply about education, that is top of mind for me because we're working with children um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, this is an extremely impressionable age, an extremely impactful age, and it goes both ways. You can build experiences that inspire somebody to, to, to change to, to like change their lives, essentially. You can, you can truly, truly inspire people to, to become the leaders of tomorrow, but at the same time, it can also wound and harm people in very dangerous ways if the guardrails and the safety protocols and the privacy policies and the rules and the norms are not established by the community and moderated by the leadership or by the team or by the community itself in some ways and in some cases. So I think those are definitely top of mind for me. Um, The metaverse that we want to build is not a metaverse where we track um, data, where we use that data to target ads or target resources to you. It's very easy for a metaverse to become a marketing engine um, for anybody because the opportunities are immense there. Rather, I think a metaverse should be a playground um, that is free, that is safe, and that is inclusive, very, very inclusive.
1: Yeah, I like the the, the analogy of, of a playground instead of, you know, um, kind of something dominated by by areas where we feel like we have no privacy, where we feel like our data's uh, also being used yep. by our, like, digital selves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as we come to our last question, I wanted to go into a bit about, you know, you, you've done a lot of work in science education, but I know you also mentioned that you're personally very like have a love for science um, and a love for learning as well. Um, So if you can have extra time to go deeper into any field or any topic of your choice, um, what would would you think you would go into?
2: Oh, that's such a great question. I uh, would love to spend more time playing my violin. I really, really enjoy uh, classical music. um, And I uh, wish I had more time in the day to learn and become better at playing the violin. I I love composing music. I love remixing music. um, And I also love kind of becoming better at classical pieces. And so Um, I I would love to take a very scientific approach to um, and I think there is a science behind classical music and I would love to take a scientific approach to really trying to um, make myself better at understanding, experiencing and empathizing with music.
1: Yeah, that's actually very beautiful. And um, it's funny because. I actually read about a fact that Albert Einstein sometimes instead of giving his speeches on like science uh, when he was expected to, at random moments he'd just give a give a violin um, like kind of concert. <laughs> <laughs> it is so funny. because um, I never knew there was that side to, you know, these scientists we know. Um, but there is this kind of beauty, I think, in combining like art and science and these like raw human values and connecting. Absolutely.
2: And, Absolutely. and I think we often talk about STEM education, but we forget that it that we actually have to take a more inclusive definition and look at it as STEAM and not really STEM, where the arts are as important, if not more important, because um, most of the, the the groundbreaking scientific discoveries in history have come from an idea that has been deeply situated in the arts, Um, an idea that is more of a creative pursuit. It's more of an art and not a science, as they say, in most cases. And so I think that the the element of wonder, the element of curiosity, the element of inspiration that makes science worth it um, should not be missed out on. And we can learn all of those things from the arts. The arts are what um, make science um, really what it is today, an experiential subject.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a great, honestly, a message that you've also shown through your work, because it is really like, as you mentioned, with VR giving a sense of wonder. Um, and there's so many places we find this wonder. And if we what can introduce more of this, teach children to, you know, love science, love, love art more. Um, there's so much value to be gained from that. So where, where can where can listeners who are hearing this um, get involved?
2: Oh, so y'all should uh, definitely check us out at inspiritvr.com. That's inspiritvr.com.
1: Perfect. Yeah, I'll link the Discord down below as well as the website, any other resources. Also, if you would like to check out more of Aditya's work. Um, yeah, so... With that, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I think this is a really great uh, learning experience for me too. I think there's, I definitely feel a greater sense of wonder now for all that VR can bring. And it also brought in my definition of what I view VR as, not just like, you know, as you mentioned, a box that you often see in these hypothetical, uh, like sci-fi movies or anything, but it's it's slowly becoming a reality and I'm very excited for this as well.
2: Oh, thank you so much for your time as well, Ellen. I really enjoyed doing this. And uh, yeah, I wish you the very best.
1: Yeah, same to you. And for all the listeners, thank you so much for listening. I'll link down below all the resources as mentioned, as well as the newsletter for Delta X Podcast. You can subscribe to to receive these types of episodes every two weeks. Thank you so much. And we'll see you guys in the next one.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Delta X Podcast with Ellen Shu. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.